Today is November 27th, 2020, and you are listening to Sam Walking in the World, episode 38, the fastest growing podcast in all of Noel Top Terrace, and as always, the thoughts of a guy who used to be unhappy, just trying to live like he wants to be when he dies. Guten Tag, Kia Ra, Ni Hao, Top of the Morning, Funat the Chesky, Don't be a hosiery. Big fat hello to all my listeners across four continents and two hemispheres. I am very grateful, as always, to hear you listening to the sound of my voice. <clears throat> now, I have to warn you, it is 4.30 in the morning. And so when I record my podcast at this hour, I have no idea what I'm going to say. My brain has been dormant for about eight hours. Anything that's been meant to get stored up and then released is probably about to get released. So try to stay with me <clears throat> if you can. Um, and I, I don't mean that in a you know, complicated way. I just don't know what I'm going to say. So I guess by that I mean please don't check out if it gets weird. So um, <clears throat> obviously today is the day after Thanksgiving. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Oh, my God, I ate too much. Oh, man, my family's crazy. Oh, Lord, how am I going to make it from today to the day after New Year's without drinking poison? I don't actually mean that. I remember when Harry met Sally when he says, every year I just try to make it from the day before Thanksgiving to the day after Christmas. And Sally says, a lot of suicides. I personally don't really <clears throat> understand um, that sentiment. The difficulty of making it through this time of year. What's so difficult about it? I mean, I guess there are things. I mean, it depends on the, the state of mind you're in and the stage of life you're in. Um, I, I always liked it as a kid. I kind of liked it as a young adult. And um, not that I love it, but um, I like it. Kind of like most times of the year. <clears throat> there's something I like about it, and then there's something that you know, I could take relief, but, um, I know it is a difficult time for people. So I actually have some, uh, some hanging in there tips that, um, tend to work for me. They kind of work for me throughout the year, but this probably is a particularly good time to remember them. So I have that for you. Um, it's funny. I looked up the, the, the origin of the word aftermath, um, I heard it in a political context, but it made me think of the holidays, too. Like now that Thanksgiving is over, a lot of people are dealing with the aftermath. So I looked up where that word came from and what it actually meant literally at the time, and I'll share that with you. Um, <clears throat> I have uh, uh, another thing that you can't do gracefully or quickly. Um, then I have some news stuff that I find very ironic about um, about the topic of law enforcement. Um, as it relates to what's going on in Minneapolis, um, and a few other things. And then, of course, whatever happens to come out of my mouth that I didn't plan on, which I think is an important thing and relates to one of the things I'm going to talk about today, is not planning. Um, you know, there's something inside each of us that is genuine and authentic. And I think it's just collected in, in this kind of area of our brain that we don't organize. 
Um, and like I was saying, that's why I think my morning podcasts tend to be my best ones because all of that stuff is stored up and I haven't organized it and my brain has to find some way of doing that. And sometimes it just happens as I'm talking about it. As a, as a function, I think that's a good thing for people because we tend to org- over-organize our thoughts, our days, um, the events of our life. And I think it takes some of the actual enjoyment that's meant to be in them away. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but first, let me get to <clears throat> let me get to some of this stupid stuff. Um, first, uh, the word aftermath is an old English word, and it means behind in place later in time. And it's from this Irish origin, made from the proto Indo European root may means to cut down grass. The first recorded use of aftermath was in the 1520s. It referred to the second crop of grass planted on the same plot of land on which the first crop had already been harvested or destroyed. Through the 16th and 17th centuries, it had come to have many alternate forms, including after crop, after grass, and latter math. Latter math. And, um, we tend to use it today as a, a way of kind of analyzing the destruction that happened in a place, like after a hurricane. We, we examine the hurricane's aftermath. Um, and I think, if, I think it fits appropriately the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, I know I'm sure there are people out there who are putting back together, um, you know, their, their sanity after having to spend time with their family and the, you, you give a big family a whole bunch of things that need to be coordinated and they're going to be fights. Now I'm proud to say that did not happen in my family. Um, we don't normally fight anyway. We usually just end up in one giant room together talking at the same time. And then some people just decide not to talk. So it ends up being like half of the people talking the whole time while the other half isn't listening. But this one, because of COVID, ended up spread out all over the place. And then there were people that had to coordinate the making of the food and the distributing of the food. I have to say I'm proud of my family. Um, for myself, I, I kind of played it by ear. Again, something I'm going to get to in a little bit. But... Um, I started out the day without a plan at all. I knew that um, what I liked about it was that everybody was off. Nobody was working. For the first time, I actually thought of Thanksgiving in terms of that. Everyone will probably be at their house, especially because of COVID. And I, I'm in a very good place right now, again, as I think I've told you many times. Um, and so I wanted to see my family. And because COVID had kind of locked everybody in their one place, uh, I knew everybody would be home. I knew who was making food and who might need help. And I knew who was distributing food. And I could kind of help coordinate communication so people would know when it was coming or when something was going to be picked up. And I do have a large family. And my wife has a pretty large family. And so... Um, 
I just decided I, I, I kind of did my morning thing. So I felt like, okay, my OCD, you know, drives me to a certain point and then I have to try and surrender. Um, but I did my morning things and then I was wide open. And I thought, I honestly thought, what, what the hell am I going to do? And I thought, you know what? I'd like to see people. But it, I didn't have to see them in the context of them all being together. And that means that almost all of them are in somebody else's house. And people have a different comfort level when they're in somebody else's house than they do when they're in their own. Most people don't bring their pets to Thanksgiving because it's at somebody else's house. So when people are all at their own home, their pets are all there, which I like. I love dogs. And so I started out thinking to myself, all right, I wanted to go visit my brother because I wanted to see. Oh, I almost said because I wanted to see the dog. <laughs> I did, though. But I also wanted to see my, my brother and his wife and their kids. And it's a very comfortable place to be. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go there first. But then I didn't. They all kind of live in this on this successive line from my house to the last one's house. And so I kind of had to drive by each of them in order to get to the last one anyway, or what I thought would be the first one I was going to go to. So first I stopped at my parents' house. And I haven't seen them in a while, I realized, when I saw them. And, you know, there's something very um, reassuring about people who don't change. You know, my parents are who they are. And it's almost all good. So I got to, I got to just kind of connect with them in person for the first time in a while. And my parents are both healthy. So, uh, you know, I wasn't really that worried about giving them COVID. I've been tested three times. But I know you can pick it up in your car on the way over there. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to go see my parents. I just tried to kept checking my rear view mirror to make sure Mario Cuomo wasn't behind me. And so I went to my parents' house and I saw their little poodle, who's uh, older now, but I remember helping train her when she was a puppy. I got to spend time there. And I, I think I just kind of wanted to feel like they were okay. And I think even more, I wanted them to feel like I was okay. And so I just went over there and kind of was okay. And then um, I got done over there and I was going to go straight over to my brother's house. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going by it anyway. So I might as well stop at my sister's house. So I stopped there and what I walked into was not expected. I walked into a, a, a very comfortable kitchen in the process of making Thanksgiving food. Um, I got to meet the sister's new friend and um it's kind of neat when you meet somebody that you usually expect just to be another person that you kind of you know you kind of like but you also kind of have to tolerate a little bit and that's fine that's the way people are but um i didn't have to tolerate him at all i know that sounds like a terrible compliment but i really like your new boyfriend i didn't have to tolerate him at all um He's just a good guy and a good cook. And it looked it, it looked like they needed some help. Peeling potatoes, um, 
opening up cans and draining them for string bean casserole, which was unbelievable, by the way. And um, and I just hung out. We listened to music, and it was uh, my sister, her boyfriend, and um, my sister's kid, my niece, one of my favorite people in the whole family. Um, and so I just spent way longer there than I thought I would. It was completely not part of my plan. And it was cathartic. It me- it reminded me of high school art class. Our ER teacher is always kind of cooler than your other teachers. The atmosphere is always less structured than it is. And, it- and you're allowed to occupy your hands in a way that frees your mind. No one feels like they have to be talking. Um, and when they are talking, a lot of times it's about what, you know, give me another potato or what are we doing after this? Oh, we're going to make the gravy. All right. What do you want me to do? And um, it was just really good. I don't know how else to explain it. It was an an unplanned pleasantness in my day. And I was glad that I did it. I was like, I almost just drove right by this place. And I had no idea that was sitting there waiting for, for me to have a good experience. And that is so true in life. When you plan the next thing so rigidly that it becomes a, you know, a regimen instead of a loose plan. And then you don't deviate from it. There are those surprises that you deny yourself. So I was so proud of myself for thinking loosely and then getting to enjoy that. And I never, I didn't even know how long I was going to stay. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to pop in. I'll say hi to Teresa. And then I'll, I'll take off. I, I say Teresa. I doubt my sister's name is Teresa. But I feel like since we were little, we would just say Teresa. Like there's no E in the beginning of the word. And it reminds me of the way my grandpa used to say battery. Yeah, turn your accessories off or else you're going to drain your battery. Okay, tree. Okay, grandpa. That's neither here nor there. And then I went over to my brother's house, and I had a nice conversation. Again, I had no idea we were going to have it. I had no idea how long it was going to last, and I didn't plan ahead. And then when I finally got back to my house hours later, um, I was able to help coordinate uh, you know, with my wife about when people were going to be bringing food, what they would be picking up. I'm, I'm glad to say that my wife almost completely screwed up Thanksgiving. Because she bought a whole bunch of dessert pies and uh, she had it in her mind that it was her job to have people pick pies up when they dropped off the food. Because we didn't cook Thanksgiving food ourselves. We were so so grateful it was provided for us. And my wife has a way of making things so big in her head. And, and um, she's a kind person and wants to be considerate. And, and feels bad when she's perceived as not considerate. So she was, honestly, I had to talk to her for like 10 minutes about whether or not it mattered that she had enough pies for the rest of the family. And, and you know, at first I'm like, don't worry about it. You know, everybody's got dessert. You never even know what kind of dessert people like. You bought a bunch of pie because you care about people and you're going to distribute it. She's like, well, my side of the family's so big and I just don't know if I have enough to, to have people pick up pies when they drop off food and they're making us food and now I'm not doing anything for them. And, and consoling her doesn't help. My only 
my only avenue to make her feel better is is sarcasm. So I'll say, she'll say, I, I, I can't believe this. I don't want them to think that I didn't think of them. And I'm like, well, you know, they will. And they'll probably hold a grudge. And uh, I'll explain to them, you know, when I talk to them next that, you know, some people are just not considerate. You know, they buy pies and they're just pie hoarders for their own family. And, and you know, they don't always just think about other people. They're, you know, just thinking about themselves. And, and, you know, Colleen, I'll tell them that overall you're a very conscientious and generous person. And they'll just forgive this this one, you know, selfishness. That she'll, she'll, first, she'll take me seriously. I don't really think she does, but she has to respond that way. She'll say, I know, I don't want them to think that. Like I, like I meant anything that I said. And I'll just keep on going. You know, I know. And Colleen, you know what? Everybody makes mistakes. And we got to learn from them and just try to grow as a person. And so maybe in the future, you can be more pie generous. Try to remind yourself of that. And then and work on it. Maybe journal about it. And by then, she's slapping me. Um, so but anyway, I again, like I told you, it's 4.30 in the morning. I had no idea where that was going to go. I'm going to collect myself, try to get myself together and stop embarrassing myself. So I will take a break and I will be back with some um, more focused stuff right after this. Welcome back to Sam Walking the World, episode 38. I will now get to stuff that I actually thought about more. And it, it, it does have to do with Thanksgiving, kind of, but it also generally has to do with life, life for me, anyway. Um... And it's two things that I do or try to do that help free me from myself. And what do I mean by that? Free me from myself. I am my greatest enemy when it comes to my ability to find peace. When, I, when, I, when it comes to my ability to relax and kind of just let it be. <clears throat> I, I, like I said, I'm a terrible driver of my own thoughts. Will drive myself insane. Will try to structure my thoughts, organize them, control them, and just it's an illusion. Control is an illusion. I've said a million times, um, I believe that I was created by a god, and I believe that when I get myself out of the way. Of the force of that God, the best things happen to me. And um, it puts me in a better position. It's almost like playing shortstop in baseball. And, you know, you can't tell yourself where the ball is going to be hit. Your best chance is to be in a comfortable and relaxed position so that then when it is hit, you're in the best possible position to be able to move in reaction to it without having to compensate for some other motion that you already had set in motion, so to speak. So um, here, are, here are the two things. One of them first I'll say is it's, it's to let the next thing to do come to you. For me, I'll put it in the eye. I try to let the next thing for me come to me. Next thing I have to do... Um, and I, I think you've heard me say it over and over again. My cardinal rule is to do what I'm doing. I know it sounds simple. 
And I know it sounds obvious, but you'd be amazed how little we do it. Me, how little I do it. I mean, I do it more now. But do what you're doing. It makes so much sense. Because I've been, I've had friends who I'd go over to their house and we would sit down and, and you know, have a conversation. Or we were planning on playing guitar or watching a movie or whatever it is that we had planned on doing, you know, the auspice under which I was going to go over there. And then I would get there. And, and this one particular person I'm thinking of would be, would also have the radio on really low. And then the TV would be on, but maybe with the sound off. And they'd be answering their phone intermittently throughout the conversation and eating tater tots and burning their mouth and having to blow on their tater tots while we were talking. There's one particular, actually specific incident, incident that I was thinking of. You haven't figured that out yet. And I thought to myself, what are we doing here? And it's true even of a person alone. Like yesterday, what I loved most about my day was the moment I kind of took a snapshot of it. I was peeling potatoes. Music was playing. And all I was doing was peeling potatoes. My mind, it's like a lot like when I'm swimming. My mind is just ends up becoming free to go wherever it's going to go. And I think that's the God stuff. And so there's, there's escape in doing what you're doing. Sometimes it even becomes less about the thing you're doing and more about the fact that you're doing one thing. And so the next thing that I might want to get done that I had loosely planned on my agenda is not in my mind. I've said before about making lists. Allow your list to change. The next thing that you thought you were going to have to get done, that's the other thing. We take, we take things that we want to do and we turn them into things that have to get done. And then once we've decided that that is in stone, we are disappointed. We're not getting it done fast enough. We're not getting to it quickly enough. Maybe we didn't do it as well as we thought. I guarantee if you didn't do it as well as you thought, it's because you weren't actually doing what you were doing. And then in that way, I feel like I am my worst enemy. I am the cause of my unease. And I, it sounds so strange because we're all born selves, right? We're all born individuals. But the very best medicine is to get myself out of my way. I really think it's out of God's way. Or that force is inside me that just subconsciously does the right thing or at least understands what it is. And I don't have to put so much pressure on myself. Because when I do finish the thing I'm doing, like when I was peeling the potatoes and then I got done, well, actually, after peeling the potatoes, I had to open up some cans of green beans, drain them, and then pour the green beans into the pan for the green bean casserole. Which, as again, I said, was amazing. Um, the next thing just came. I thought... I was going to go, I thought I was going to immediately go and, and go to my next place that I had to get to. Instead, I just stayed. When I got finished, I thought, all right, I guess now I'll go over there. And I expected to be in and out over there. And I ended up staying there a while. And the while, while I was there, I was doing what I was doing. 
And I honestly had no idea what I was going to do next. And especially on a day like Thanksgiving where, where, you know, we set these rigid plans in place so that we can relax. I can't wait for Thanksgiving so I can just relax. I can just relax and follow through on every single one of the agenda items that I've rigidly planned and that I must do. And I'm going to get upset at people if I don't get them all done and if I don't do them in the right order. Ah. We do it to ourselves. So I thought one of the best ways to consciously practice letting things, letting the next thing come to me and then doing what I'm doing is a reminder. If there's, if you're going to have any kind of mantras, this is one that works for me. I recommend it. The second one is collect a list of let it goes. What do I mean? Those of you who have been probably listening for a while understand what I mean, but I'll go back into it again for the new people. Let it goes are the things throughout the course of your day that might end up sticking to your wall of things you need to worry about. You want them to just slide off the wall. If they're supposed to um, get done and they are urgent, they will reappear. But we don't have to keep them consciously. Like I'll give you an example. My dog this morning, I, I way overfed my dog. You know, and she was, you know, she has trouble dealing with the, with Thanksgiving too. She goes to her in laws, and you know, it's like everybody's barking about something. And why can't you two little ones eat out of the same bowl? And why isn't why isn't she wearing her GBS? Where is she? And all that, but. Um, I, I, I overfed her and she, or maybe I just fed her the wrong mix of food and she, um, was throwing up a little bit this morning on our walk. And I think she was, she woke my wife up because she wanted to go out and she threw up. And when my, when the dog is not feeling good in front of my wife, it is the end of the world. So the world stopped and my wife brought the dog to me and said, you know, she's not feeling well. And as I was walking her and I could tell that she wasn't feeling well, I, I, I was tempted to let it stick and then keep thinking about it and worry about it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to let this go. If the dog is really sick, continues to be really sick, well, then I'll do something about it then. Um, but I just got her down in the cool air and I let it go. That was the first thing on my list of let it goes. And um, they're small. Sometimes they're small. Like we, we got a Christmas tree that's too tall. My wife bought a nine-foot Christmas tree. And so now <clears throat> Christmas tree has to go back in the box, and we have to figure out the process of returning the Christmas tree and getting another Christmas tree. And I don't know if I've shared my feelings about Christmas trees, but I honestly – I don't really feel the need for them anymore. And, and I'm not like a, a Grinch or Scrooge or anything, but I would like to get like, I don't know if you remember those fat head kind of stickers that would go on the wall and they were perfectly 3d, like almost like cardboard cutouts at like uh, wax museums where you can stand next to them and take your picture. And it really looks like it's 3d. I would love to get a Christmas tree like that and just stick it on the wall. It would be functional for all photographs, except it would take up no space and you wouldn't have to clean up anything after it. 
But my wife wants a real tree. So anyway, the tree didn't fit. And so it's now sitting back in this enormous box in the garage. And my instinct is to have my garage be clean and orderly. Except now there's this giant Christmas tree box that we don't even want anymore. And I walked past it. I walked past it on the way out with the dog and on the way back. And I thought, why am I worrying about this? I, I actually had to consciously tell myself, let it go. And for some reason, having a list helps me. Like, I'm proud of myself for collecting let it goes. And, and they can be tiny. I wanted to cut my toenails, and I forgot. And then I was out without a toenail clipper, and I looked at my toenails and was like, oh, man, I forgot to clip my toenails. Then I was like, what difference does it make? Because my, my instinct, if you're OCD like me, is to is to feel like I should have had to get it done. I tell myself things, right? People do I told myself I was going to do that. And then I, like, let myself down. And again, you can be your own worst enemy. Let it go. What is it that makes it so you can't let it go? Some sense of obligation to yourself? Well, you're you. Give yourself permission not to. And that is hard for some people. I think that's like the, I think Freud called it the super ego. And, and which sounds like it's misnamed because it makes you think like you got a huge ego. But really it's your sense of, of an external locus of control. Something external to you. Probably just conditioning from childhood that tells you you're supposed to do the right thing. Right? Your id is your desire for, for pure animal carnal pleasures, food, um, sex, um, um, you know, things like, things like laughing, automatic things like that. Then your ego is your awareness of yourself, your feeling that you are somebody, that you need to be perceived as somebody. And who am I? What do I want? And then your superego is this other, this other that judges me. And I have to make sure that I meet the expectations of this other, this external other. In a lot of ways, God can be a superego, but sometimes it's just the opinions of everybody else. But in worst cases, like the one I'm describing, your superego can be your own subconscious sense of duty. And, and even though it makes no sense, it comes from a place of like internal authority. You don't want to disappoint that authority. For some people, it probably takes the form of their parents. You know, once they're adults, they still have that voice of their parents in their head. Or if their parents have passed away, the sense that their parents would be disappointed in what they're doing. But but sometimes it is you. You are your own super ego. And once you do that, you don't have the ability to contradict it. You know, to disobey it. So how, what do you do then? You're telling you you have to do something, but you don't really want to do it. And, and then you end up worrying that you're not doing the thing that you said you had to do. It's insane. So collect a list of let it goes. If you have to, put them on your phone. The conscious act of saying, I'm going to let this go now. And then look at it later and be proud of yourself for all the crap that you could have carried with you throughout the day, but that you let go. Anything, I promise, 
anything that's important enough to try and not forget will just come back. And if it doesn't, you didn't need to do it. Freedom from self. Get yourself out of the way. I And I'm not saying this like it's easy for me. I'm in the same struggle. And um, I just know that it doesn't happen by itself. I have to do some kind of conscious thing. And, and when I'm letting something go, that is the thing I'm doing. And then I go on to the next thing. And it works for me. It's not easy, but it works for me. And so that is my post-Thanksgiving um, advice. Again, for whatever it's worth, I'm no guru, but it tends to work for me. So just to review, those two things are let the next thing to do come to you. It always will. And it will always be the right thing. If you don't think about it ahead of time and collect your list of let it go start today i guarantee you an hour won't go by before there's a thing you feel like you have to worry about try consciously to let it go put it on your list look back later and go wow look at all the crap i let go today and you may be like oh you know what i do need to do that but at least it won't be something you carried from that moment of worry to that point of reflection so I'm only telling you that because it works for me. And I feel kind of arrogant right now. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to be. Um, maybe it's my super ego. But I will take a break, and I'll be back after this with, I honestly have no idea what. Back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 38. I'm not sure if I just kind of cut off there in the beginning, but either way, I'm moving on. I'm not editing it. Um, anyway, welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 38. Oh, I, I'm going to put that on my list of things I let go. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about the difference between, and in a second, I'm going to play some clips, sound bites from uh, the Minnesota City Councilwoman. Uh, I think her name is Deb Bender. I think that's her name. And um, Bender's a pretty appropriate name for her, too, because she seems to just bend. Um, the difference between representatives and leaders. I think both are necessary. The will of the people needs to be reflected and, and uh, that representatives need to vote in accordance with the will of their people, at least the majority of their people. Um, otherwise, they won't be reelected. And I think that's good because it's sometimes, sometimes they're really just there to vote on our behalf. Then there are also times when we need leaders Leaders who are willing to risk not being reelected by standing on principles that sometimes cause us that might be in the majority want something else might cause us to find our better angels. And then we discover um, what the right thing might be that we didn't we hadn't thought of. And sometimes it takes a leader willing to not get reelected to say, I'm going to stand on this principle because I believe it's right. I believe you believe it's right deep down. And even though right now the political wind is, is blowing against me, I think this is still the right thing to do. And I'm not going to change my mind in some effort to just see if I can get myself reelected. I don't think that's what leaders do. And I've been a coach. I talked to my brother about this. 
and there's no way to do your job and still to do it right and still not have at least 30 to 40 percent of the people unhappy with what you're doing and you have to just stand on principle <clears throat> and um there is an incredible lack of it when it comes to people's sensitivity toward uh social justice everyone wants to virtue signal that they're a good person and so they end up bending like lisa like or was it lisa bender maybe it is i think it is lisa bender uh, does in minneapolis she's a city councilwoman who came out most aggressively uh, um uh, to defund the police of course the the george floyd shooting was awful i mean uh killing was awful awful and there was an appropriately um outraged reaction to it but then it ended up bleeding into this idea that all cops are bad all cops discriminate all cops are prone to abuse of their power and so the purpose then became to defund the police we don't need police she even came out and said it's worse sometimes when the police arrive. I'm sure it is, actually. Sometimes. But sometimes everything. Sometimes there's an eclipse. And and I think she was just letting herself bend with the wind at the time. And it was the passions of the moment. And she went along with it without standing on any kind of principle. And then it came back to bite her. Because obviously you need police. So... Um, I'm going to play a clip for you. I'm going to kind of just take you through this. This first clip that we'll listen to together is um, when it, when the, the call for defunding the police first came out. And she was in the avant-garde. No, the vanguard. And um, she wanted to show everybody how unracist and undiscriminatory she was. And how because of the George Floyd killing, we needed not to have any police we're going to send counselors and uh, it just, I'll let her speak for herself. Let's walk through this. So this is her being asked by Alison Camerata uh, about how it shocks people. Sometimes they're a little bit put off by the idea that we don't need police. Do you understand that the word dismantle or police free also makes some people nervous? For instance, what if in the middle of the night, my home is broken into. Who do I call? Got to give her credit for this question because I think this is on CNN. It's either CNN or MSNBC. And I can't believe the devil's advocate was actually played by somebody. And, uh, and she used to be on Fox. And then I think maybe she just thought there was better money. Or maybe her political views really did change. And she became a Trump basher. Um, and that's fine. I mean, that's fine, but I got to give her credit at least for asking this question. Listen to this mumbo jumbo. Yes, I mean, I, I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors. And I know, and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege. What? What? What if my house is broken into? I want to be able to call the police. That comes from a place of privilege. So you don't understand. You've had this privilege of just having police come to your house and them not killing you. I, I assume it's because you're white. 
So your white privilege causes you to not be killed by police when you call them because there's an intruder in your house or someone trying to break in your house. She continues. To already live in that reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. And so in the very immediate, we have to lean into whatever changes we can make in our existing police department. Do you hear that? In the immediate moment. So right now, everyone is overreacting to this thing. And, and, and I, have to, I have to go along with that overreaction. And we have to rethink our policing because of an incident that occurred, a terrible incident that occurred. We're generalizing this to mean that I, I guess for people of color, because I think the privilege she's talking about is white privilege or maybe suburban privilege, socioeconomic privilege. Um, I'm not sure, but because of the, the passions of the moment, we have to completely rethink what has been a fundamental and principal part of our daily existence in civilizations. And that is the laws that we have all decided on in our democracy, they have to be enforced by somebody. So we place in charge people who will follow through on enforcing the laws that we ourselves have put in place. You know, I think we look to cities like Camden, New Jersey, that completely restructured their department as we build up systems. And we've already done that. We have, we are not starting from scratch. We have invested in community-based safety strategies. Community-based safety strategies. I've heard this expression community-based a lot. I, I, I have no idea what it means. The, the community is going to police itself. That's what cops are. They are our our appointed officials to enforce our laws. We, we as a community have, have put police in place to do that. They, they are community based. I, and we have built up systems. She said, what systems? I mean, someone's doing something wrong or violent and they have to be stopped and words don't work. Then what more words? We have knowledge in our community across the city. We've done an analysis of all the reasons people call 911 and have looked at ways we can shift the response away from armed police officers into a more appropriate response for mental health calls, um, for some domestic violence calls. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> the reason the cop is there is because everything short of being armed hasn't worked. Right. If more of that would work, then it would have already worked. So you're going to send somebody else to go and try to talk to the guy who's beating up his wife. I, I have a pretty good feeling that person's going to get beaten up. The only thing that's going to stop that person from continuing to beat up their wife is something they fear worse happening to them. Sometimes that comes with an armed police officer. For um, health-related issues. And so the groundwork is already in Minneapolis for us to, to build on that, to learn from folks around the world, but really also to listen to our community and put those community voices front and center as we build up those systems even further. Okay. Now that was all nonsense. That was all nonsense. And so in order for Alison Camerata to follow up on the question, she has to turn to the political, which is you're going to give Trump ammunition here. He's going to be able to say, see, look, you wanted to fund the police. Well, he's not saying that. That is what you're doing. 
Trump questioning that is not political. I mean, I guess because she's decided to say Trump will question it and, and it will affect, it might affect the election, that, that it is political. It is in no way political. It is civic. Political point. As a Democrat, are you worried that you have just handed President Trump a great talking point or slogan? Talking point or slogan. We need police. You're saying that you we don't need police. I'm saying that we are. That's a slogan. <laughs> it's, it's really slick. We need cops. Or battle cry for his reelection to be able to say, see, Democrats want to get rid of your police. That's exactly what they're doing. Or at least they have this idea to do it in the moment. First they come to take away your guns, as he says. Now, As he says? Beto O'Rourke said, hell yeah, I'm coming for your guns, as he says. They're taking away your police officers. Does that... Sounds to me like that's exactly what she's doing. Concern you. You know, that's why I said at the beginning... Oh, before I play this, listen to how little sense this makes. Honestly, she, she'll jump from one phrase to another. If you really, really had to try and walk away with this with some understanding of what she means, I challenge you to try that it starts with telling the truth and i think we've been afraid of a lot of things of that those political dynamics of what would happen in our city you know to have our police force hearing these kinds of words and that fear is what we have to really work through because again that's the fear that so many in our community are facing that's the fear that we see you know from George Floyd's family, or the family of Jamar Clark, or Justine Damon, who were also killed by Minneapolis police, who have told us, we never want to see this happen again. So we got to get rid of cops. I mean, we, we can definitely make sure that nobody else in Minneapolis is killed by a cop if we just don't have any cops. She's right. That will definitely work. And so those efforts that we have taken so far to stop this, to make sure no one is killed in this way, have not worked so our statement is to try something new. You got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. It's nuts on its face. And, and, and subsequent events prove that it's nuts. And to listen to this woman, uh, I'm going to play another clip after the break, to listen to this woman talk about um, <laughs> facing the problem of having too much crime after she's done this, some time has gone by, and the and the the plan has come to some level of fruition where she has to deal with the actual here comes aftermath of what she decided to do in the moment then now she's in the moment now and she is a bender see your bend again right after the break milkman oh my i failed to mention the milkman had an awesome thanksgiving he's back from wisconsin where he was visiting his family and uh you know he said he had a great time, you know. There was no, no loud or obnoxious mooing. Everybody was getting along very well, and that's always nice. Milky has chilled out a lot. I think being around like-minded people, uh, like me, he and I kind of have a way of settling each other down. <clears throat> you know, sometimes when, you know, when something bothers him right down to the pit of his stomachs, um, we'll talk about it and we'll resolve it. He helps me in the same way. So anyway, moving on. Let's get back to Lisa Bender. Now, time has gone by since she's implemented this policy that was based on a single incident in time. 
and they began defunding the police and they were switching resources around and they were having um, therapists and uh, social workers attempt to take care of uh, incidences where people were calling 911. And it did, apparently it didn't go quite as planned. Uh, so a lot of this just, if I play it, you'll, I won't even have to speak, but of course I will anyway. But let me just start this and we'll, we'll listen to it together. Minneapolis City Council members are expressing their concerns about public safety this morning to the police chief. At least nobody was killed by a cop. That was the goal, right? Public safety, you know, we're, we're going to run into some problems with public safety, but at least we're preventing people from being killed by thoughtless, brutal police officers. Among other things, city council members <coughs> and the chief discussed recent shootings, robberies, and erratic driving in the city. During wow. I'm stunned. I'm stunned that without police, there is an uptick in things like that. That doesn't make any sense. The, 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 the city should be fine because it's the, it's the contact with the police that causes the bad behavior. Of course, everyone knows that. During their virtual meeting, the chief explained that the department is starting things like alley patrols and sending out teams to focus on areas hit hard by robberies. Wait a minute. My feeling is that those areas are probably largely minority areas. Because that tends to be where most of the crime is. So what are they doing now? They're going to send the police back out there to kill people? Another concern raised by multiple city council members with this was that their constituents have reported to them that MPD rank and file officers have told them they don't have enough capacity to respond to property crimes and other types of crimes. Who cares? Property crimes. They don't matter. I mean, that comes from a place of privilege. You're privileged to have property. Some people don't even have property. So I don't want to hear you complaining about your house windows being broken or your car being destroyed or anything like that because that's only privileged people have worries like that. You're telling us and the inspectors are telling us that we have a plan for safety, that we are taking crime seriously. Um, you are? You are. What's the plan? I thought you had the plan eight weeks ago. This poor police chief, he's an African-American guy. And obviously he knows that his job is on the line if he, if he stands strong for police. Obviously the temperament of this city council is against police. Now they, now they kind of know they need it. I mean, this would be a moment where he could really tell her to shh. Well, you can fill in the blank. Like, you know, you said you didn't need police. Now you need police. But he has to be politically correct, and I, I just I don't envy the position he's in. There's also conversations about staffing. So the chief said that they usually lose about 40 to 50 officers every year through retirement and, and for other reasons. But so far this year, they've lost about 100 officers. Oh, my God. I wonder why. I, I, don't, I don't I wonder. First of all, who cares? Right? From the pr perspective of the city council, who cares? more police that we get rid of, the better, right? I mean, police are the problem. They make things worse when somebody calls 911. It, it must be in enough cases that they would change their, their approach to crime and policing. So I wonder where those 100 people went. They probably went up to Canada. Maybe they're going to become Canadian police and kill some Canadian innocent people. 
maybe officers for various reasons so there you have Minneapolis it City that is um insane it is insane and it is what they deserve it's what they deserve because they brought it on themselves but you don't ever hear any mea culpas or any um you know we have to go back and and, and reassess the mistake that we made in that tendency we do understand that we need um, a proactive police force out in the community and that apparently that would be an admission though that the police aren't the ones that are just wantonly killing people but they're actually necessary when people call 911 you cannot send a 45 year old woman in a mumu um and hey it just cracks me up that it just cracks me up Episode 38. I gotta tell you, I'm having a lot of fun here. What an awesome way to begin my day. Um, anyway, continuing on the theme of law enforcement and hypocrisy, I want to get to Mario Cuomo. I mean, sorry, I keep calling him that. Andrew Cuomo. Um, and his comments on whether or not sheriffs were going to enforce the maximum of 10 people at Thanksgiving law. Or whatever it is, executive order. It's not a law. It never went through any kind of legislature. But the dictator decided that and this is what the dictator says about police who are saying they're not going to enforce an executive order on Thanksgiving. At first, they don't have enough cops. And then uh, secondly, they don't believe that it's constitutional. And he's calling them dictators. This guy, I swear, it's as though he's born anew every single day and doesn't recall anything that he said in his previous life. So just just set this up. Let me give you a couple example, couple examples. Immigration. There are sanctuary cities. New York City is a sanctuary city. Have you ever heard Andrew Cuomo speak vociferously against allowing people to just be in the country illegally? To not have to ask them for identification when they're pulled over because that might reveal that they're they're here illegally. And that would that would cause law enforcement to occur and we don't want to enforce that law because because we think that uh, Trump is bad and mean and orange and the immigration policy is terrible and we're progressive minded and and we're not going to enforce those laws or ice he's against ice enforcing laws around the border arresting people um, having the having the jails communicate with ice so they can pick up detainees who are in the country illegally after they're arrested for some other crime, often a heinous crime. We don't want that communication to happen. That might result in those people having the law enforced <laughs> in a way that they wouldn't like or he wouldn't like. And then the other one is, uh, how about all these Antifa protests? They're burning buildings. They took over a precinct. Did you ever hear Andrew Cuomo say that we needed more law enforcement? The laws have to be enforced in places like CHOP or even in New York City, when Antifa was go going crazy, crazy violence. Did you see cops just rounding people up and arresting them for breaking the law? 
No. I bet they would have if they were allowed to, but I'm sure they at least tacit direction to not use overwhelming force to take care of those people who are overtly breaking the law. In those cases, we, we can choose to not enforce the laws selectively. This is what he has to say when it comes to Thanksgiving. officials who refuse to enforce the state's latest COVID-19 restrictions, including the 10-person cap on private gatherings ahead of Thanksgiving. Watch this. Well, I don't believe in that law, and therefore I won't enforce it. Uh, that is uh, frankly frightening. To- it's frightening. This thing that he's done several times in the recent past is frightening. Me as an individual, frightening to democracy. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's arrogant and it violates your constitutional. Exactly what he did. Exactly what he is. I don't have to say any more about that. The man is a schmuck. Ah, I think I've run out of steam. (laughs) I have to regather myself. But again, I thank you for listening, and I will be back. Uh, I have a lot more free time on my hands, so I'm sure there are probably going to be more episodes coming in quicker succession than they had before. That'll be one good thing about the holidays. So I hope you'll join me in the future. With that, I thank you as always for listening, and I will see you next time.